I'm, I'm getting older uh, quickly, and it's one interesting thing that's come for me as I get older is being have a little fear of bridges. I don't know if this is something that, that people need to go into my brain and analyze, but um, uh, there's a bridge that goes over the Chesapeake Bay. That's what's pictured here in front of you. And I no longer drive that. I have to have Sarah drive it. It is spooky. It is miles and miles and miles on the Atlantic Ocean. You see nothing around you but ocean. And it just feels like you're just driving on the water. And I know it's safe, but there's something in my brain that says, Tim, you're not, you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> you got to move back. Uh, and I remember one of the first times we did this, I didn't know it was coming. And I was driving, and it was windy. And uh, there I'm on it, and I'm like, why are all these people going on this thing? Right? I shouldn't be going on this thing. And it became fearful. But, you know, on the other side of that was vacation. And so I was going to go. Right? I didn't care what it took. Even if I had to swim, I was going to make it across there. Uh, because what I loved was on the other side of that. And I find myself easily going over bridges because on the other side of that is a nice hike, or on the other side of that is something I want to see, because I love what's on the other side of that. And that's true. What overcomes your fear um, often is what you love on the other side of that. And so you're willing to drive past your fear uh, because you love something else. I wonder if you're fearful of public speaking. Anyone have that fear? Well, why don't you picture yourself unprepared? Uh, you were just taken from maybe even the middle of sleep, because that's usually when you have these fears. 200 people, you, they put you in front of 200 people, no preparation. You've got to talk to everybody about extremely important topic. And you put yourself there. Now put 2,000 people there. Now put 20,000 people there. Right? Does that sound fun? Right? That, is, that is where we find um, Paul in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 19, uh, here in Ephesus. The city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius, Aristarchus, Macedonians who were with Paul. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, these people want to hurt Paul, because he's preaching in Ephesus. 20,000 of them screaming. But he loves something more than he fears. Because actually, Paul was not a very good speaker. He was not a very impressive speaker. Uh, but he loved something else more than he feared speaking. And that was the souls of men and the glory of God. And so that's what the Lord will help us with as we get over our fears today as well. And the early church did that. They started out in Acts, all huddled up in chapter 1, in an upper room, hiding, and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes, and he gives them authority and power to be bold witnesses. You will receive power, Jesus prophesied, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that gives us a great outline of the book of Acts in front of you, this history book in our Bibles, right? Witnesses in Jerusalem, Acts 1 through 7. Witnesses in Judea and Samaria in Acts 8 through 12. And what we're really focused on to get us to Rome is beyond that to the uttermost part of the earth. And as we mentioned, you can even summarize 1 to 7 with Pentecost, 8 to 12 with Peter, and 13 to 28 with Paul. 
um, kind of three words to help you understand Acts 1-8 that surveys the whole book of really the early church, the, the history book of the early church. Now, what I want to do uh, for just a moment is look at the timeline of Paul's church planning journeys. He was on mission from 46 really to 56, and this four, fourth mission uh, actually was in prison. So you see this in your notes here. You can fill in some of the, the timeline there uh, of these different missions, but I'm just going to survey them very quickly, and what I'm trying to do is we did one message in the first mission, we did one message in the second mission, today we're doing one message, message in the third mission, by God's grace, next week we'll do the final message in the fourth mission, and we'll be, be able to start Romans um, kind of getting us to the, the letter that goes follows after Acts, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we did last year, and, and kind of surveying Acts in a few sessions, and then we'll get into Romans uh, here shortly. Okay, so the first mission. First mission, 46 to 49 uh, AD, and Antioch. You see all these different places where they went, and what's interesting about all these places is that they are cities. The Apostle Paul, motivated by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses all throughout the ancient world, went to cities. City to city to city, preaching, preaching, preaching. Um, and so you have a little map of, of where, where they went here. They, they just went into Asia at this point, Asia, and he actually ends up there most of the third missionary journey as well. But he starts in Antioch, they pray, they ask the Holy Spirit to attend them, and they send them out in this first mission. Okay, uh, second mission goes a little bit further, right? To the ends of the world, there's this, this parenthesis, Jerusalem Council, 50 AD. What do we do with all these Gentiles who are becoming Christians? Because everybody was Jewish pretty much to that point. Like, what are we going to do with all these, these Gentile Christians? So there's this parenthesis in Acts 15 where they deal with that. And you'll notice this. This is the first letter in your Bible that was written uh, as far as Paul goes. Pauline letter. Okay, so Galatians would be the first one. And actually, he's dealing with a similar situation if you've read Galatians. Right, what do we do about the law? Right, what about these people who say you have to keep keeping the law to be right with God? Does not say very good things about them. All right, but that was the first letter written, Galatians. Okay, so then he moves on to the second mission, two and a half years, uh, from 50 AD to 52 AD. And last, it was just two weeks ago, before the baby dedication, we dealt with the scene in Athens. Is Athens a city? Yes, yes. So all these regions are city, uh, regions or cities. Uh, but look at this, Corinth is another big city in that day, and he spends a year and a half there on his second missionary journey. Uh, these missions take 10 years into the imprisoning ones, and out of those 10 years, he's going to spend a year and a half at least in Corinth. He actually visits it a few times, but here in the second mission, two and a half years is the mission, and a year and a half he's going to spend in a city, preaching the gospel in that city. I think that helps us, okay? But you can see he moves now from Asia, right? So the gospel started here, right? Jerusalem. They're waiting all afraid. The Holy Spirit gives them a passion for people, 
for the love of God, the Holy Spirit fills them and they're able to take this message from Jerusalem, prompted by a little persecution. They leave and they start spreading this all over. And, and Paul is one of the main persons that God uses to preach the gospel to all these cities. All right, so he goes through all of here, and, and, and we, we spent time last, two Sundays ago, with his ministry here in Athens. But again, a lot of his time he spent here across the little, is that the Isthmian Sea? I can't remember. But um, in Corinth. Okay, so let's move to where we're headed today. Uh, but a lot of these things sound familiar, right? The Philippian jailer, right? Philippi, Thessalonica, he spends just a few weeks and a church spr sprouts up. Um, but then we move to the third missionary journey, the longest one, four and a half years, or four years, 52 and a half to 56 and a half, AD, uh, and uh, Acts 18 to 21 in your Bibles, okay? Back through Asia, uh, I'll get to the map in a second, to Macedonia, but primarily at Ephesus. But what do you see? On this book that's very relevant to our study. What word? There's a lot of words that I know. Romans! Okay? So at the end of this trip, at the end of this missionary journey, this is why we're getting all this backdrop. This is all about the first word of the letter of Romans. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. But that first word, we've got to understand who this is, what makes him tick, and why is this book that he's writing so full about Jews and Gentiles? It's just packed with it. And righteousness of God. Right? So, uh, so we're getting framework for all that. We're understanding, this is what you do in Bible study. As you start a Bible study, we're going to try to walk you through studying uh, Micah on your own, inductive Bible study. But you try to understand the, the situation in life, the why they wrote. And that's what all this is about. Understanding Paul in Ephesus. As eventually, as he leaves Ephesus, goes to Corinth. The very end of this missionary journey. He either writes it toward the tail end of Ephesus. Or as he goes through to Corinth. Uh, but we'll see he even today says, I can't wait to get to Rome. Okay, um, So two and a half years there. But it's a very similar journey to the second missionary journey. He just stops here and stays. Why is he staying at Ephesus for two and a half years? All right, we'll find that out today. And it really encourages us here uh, as a church in the city. A church in the city. Okay, and so that's what we're going to dig into. We're going to understand a church in the city reaches the world. A church in the city reaches the world. And try not to be just the thought way up there. You're in the city. As a Christian, you're reaching the world. Your, your, your situation, where God has placed you in this little 25 million people here, this, this, cos, this what is it called? Uh, it's not just the five boroughs, but all the surrounding regions. It's, 25, it's like, like almost 10% of America. Um, this is a huge chunk of uh, the U.S. And, and right here in Queens is kind of a hub of that. Okay. So we're going to look at this, this city and look at Paul's ministry in this city in chapter, uh, chapter 19, verses 1 to 40, and we don't have time for all that. Okay? So I'm going, to read, uh, I'm going to try to read the whole chapter at least, but you can divide it into these three key ideas. The power of the city church, the spread, how does city church spread, how does a church in the city spread, 
And then the third, there's the opposition that arises to churches in the city. Okay, So uh, they'll all be instructive, and we'll try to apply each of those to us as individuals, not just here at Grace. I think it'll be very applicable to us as a church, but also as you, to you as an individual. All right, so the power of the city church, spread of the city church, and, and we'll move on from there. Um, this is, uh, uh, Ephesus was fascinating. Uh, it was a, a beautiful city. Uh, I, I think of, of New York City. And again, we put this in perspective. He's spending 10 years in these missionary journeys, and he's spending, at this point, at least two and a half years in this one city. A fourth of all of his mission is spent in one city. Uh, the Holy Spirit knew this was important. Uh, the importance of ancient Ephesus is well known. Right? Paul first sailed into that port. He would have laid his eyes on one of the biggest, crowdiest, crowdiest cities you can come across. Probably the second largest city of the day. 250 to 300,000 people. Um, maybe second only to Rome. But he comes into the port there and he sees ships from all over the world coming into this bustling noisy, active port city. Various ships bringing treasures from all over the world and people from all over the world to take those treasures back with them. Noisy wagons and carts are being pulled up and down these marble streets lined with shops selling foods and goods from all over the world, yelling back and forth different merchants' prices and products in different languages and dialects. You can put yourself there, can't you? Uh, but the city was also wicked, dirty. It was a strategic financial center. Uh, strategically located in a major port in the GNC. Mile marker one on a major trade route that went through Asia and eventually led to the Euphrates River. And so Rome took this city of Ephesus and made it the capital of the whole province of Asia. It was also very religious as far as idolatry concerned, idolatrous. Uh, at the center of worship was the false god Artemis, Diana, and this is a remake of that, uh, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. In fact, uh, People from that time period say they've seen these other wonders and this outshines them all. all right, these pillars are 60 foot high. Right, so you think a six-story structure is, is pretty massive today. But look at all these pillars right, in that world. You know, Paul would have come up and he would have been like, like walking through Times, Times Square, but maybe, maybe coming into the, the port, right, Staten Island Fairly, and looking up at that really cool picture and seeing all these Breathtaking buildings shining in the light. It would have been that way, the limestone. People all over the world would travel there to do business, but to see these wonders. It was brilliant. It was beautiful. But it was also wicked. You think, yeah, nothing like New York. Uh, no, it was much worse. It was much worse. Um, the, the, the violence was much worse. Their thirst of blood, uh, right? We see this. This is where Paul ends up. This is what it was. It seats over 20,000. Uh, now, there were a lot of things there. No, no doubt classical music playing Bach. No. 
You know what they would do there? They'd fight to the death. Right? You think MMA is tough? People were thirsty for blood to the death. Right? This is uh, immoralities rampant. Right? Uh, the worship of Artemis has to do with, with uh, procreation. And so fornication, prostitution, part of the worship of the goddess of fertility. Uh, the theater, much more wicked than ours. Its scenes were sordid, filthy, violent, and real, not just a screen. And so for ages, men's depraved mind has sought this out and has depicted it for other people to gain a buck. And yet the problem is not that it's a city. And that's what I wanted to get. The problem is not that it's a city. God chose a place, I won't offend anybody here, God chose a place for, for humanity to fall into depravity, and that was a garden. God chooses a place for humanity to thrive for eternity in fullness of joy, and it's a what? A city. Heaven is a city. All right? So the problem is not that it's a city, the problem is that it's a... A gathered group of depravity. The problem is a broken humanity. And the solution to a broken humanity is always what? Education? Politics? No. The gospel. And so that's what we find in Ephesus. And that's what we find is the solution for our city. The problem is our human nature. But the solution is always God's supernatural nature. Infused into humanity through the new birth to change the city. And this is beautiful. So let's look first of all here, got to quickly move through this, the power of God's church in the city. And we need to learn from this. You need to learn from this. The power, what was their power there? Paul, how did this happen that Ephesus turns on its head upside down? You know, the power was the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verses 1 to 7. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and then he starts talking to them about their, about their faith. And they had been discipled to the point of John's baptism. Meaning very similar to the... Or this is a, a, kind of a strange situation because most people then had gone on and learned about Jesus. But for a while, John the Baptist was preaching that repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. And then Jesus comes and he says, there's the Lamb of God, follow him. But somehow these folks had heard repent the kingdom of is coming, and so they follow John, 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 and they're in Ephesus following, and, and they hadn't yet heard about the gospel of Jesus and the Holy Spirit forthcoming through, again, what John said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, right? And so they need to be told this. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no. What you were baptized, into what you were baptized. They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is coming after him. You need to believe in Jesus. So they're not regenerate yet. They believe in Jesus, they're baptized, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they manifest that through speaking in foreign languages, these uh, languages that they had never studied, in tongues and prophesying, speaking God's word. They were about 12 men. About what you could make up a synagogue with in that time. And that's the point there. And so that's how it starts. He preaches Jesus. But for this church to take off, God had to do it through the power of his Holy Spirit. 
They had been there in Ephesus for 20 years. The Holy Spirit needed to be in their sails. They needed the filling and empowering of God Himself. And so our life lesson is God's work is done through us by God. We're just the simple pencil, the simple trumpet, the simple whatever you name an instrument. It's not the instrument that's powerful or sharp or sounds good. It's God who's using it. And so if God uses you, if God uses you in any special way, you just say, it's not me, it's God. He is amazing in how he uses simple people. All of us are simple people, amazed at his glory. And so they, they learn this lesson that we all need to begin with. But, but if we want to have any impact on queens, on our workplace and our family, we need to ask for God's Holy Spirit to use us. And I would just ask you this, the gauge to this is the amount of time you, you give yourself. And I'm not saying you have to spend an hour a day, but do you pray? Do you, do you ask God to use you? Um, he, he won't if you don't ask him. I mean, sometimes he does. We just slip into it. But we, and we, and we leave to, in the morning, we say, dear, dear Holy Spirit, fill me, enable me for your service. If you're not doing that, God's not using you as he wants to. Could you all be committed to doing that each day this week? Watch God use you to change the city. You're all, we're all instruments, but some of these instruments are just sitting in the back. They've never been taken out and played in the orchestra because they, they're just relying on their brass and not the person to blow through them. So each day we stop. In the morning we spend time with God. We ask for his filling and his enabling to, to be used by him each day. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. The base, the things that are not, has he chosen. So that no one will boast before God. So you say, why well, not good enough? No, I'm weak. Good. He wants to use you even more in your weakness than your strength. If you think that, that yeah, God's lucky to have me, then he probably won't use you. But if you get to the point where I can't do anything, I can only do these things through Christ who strengthens me, he'll use you. And they said this about Paul in Corinth. His letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive. His speech is contemptible. This Paul, like, what's he going to do? He's not a good orator. He's very unimpressive when you get to know him. Just a simple guy. I mean, he can think. He's trained. But... Yeah, but wait till the Holy Spirit gets a hold of him. God uses, does great things through people who are just committed to being used by him. The issue is not the tool, right? Give the greatest artist the simplest paintbrush. They're going to far outshine what I could do with the nicest. And the same with God. So Paul's weakness is what God used. And so let me encourage you, right? Um... God uses the smallest, normal people walking around the walls to make Jericho's walls fall. 300 trumpets sounding God's message is what he uses to send the armies fleeing. Um, and, and so, you know, what, whatever is difficult in your life, the issue is not your weakness. The issue is where you're depending. How are you? Who are you depending on? He is the worker he is the provider. He is the savior. He is the regenerator. He is the hero. 
He is the head, and so we cannot work in our own strength. How long have you been praying for the person's salvation? All right, do you pray daily for their salvation? All right, this is, this is, we have to rely on the Lord for this. And so this is true of our, our church as well. Um, as we think about reaching our community, right, this, this past week, uh, we have a very, very old microwave. This is not a picture of it, but it's similar to this, maybe bigger and older. And uh, it wasn't working this week. And I was like, oh boy, it finally bit the dust. Someone gave it to us when they moved. And uh, it probably was used 20 years before they gave it to us. And I don't know, Sarah, how long we've had it since then. But I was like, oh, it finally died. I'm going to have to actually buy a microwave. But it was just unplugged. All right? <laughs> so that's awesome. This thing is a beast. You could cook a Thanksgiving turkey in like 10 minutes, five minutes. It's huge. It takes up half our kitchen. But it does its job. It's a beast. But it's worthless if it's unplugged. I think the Lord looks at all our mechanics of church ministry and seminars and all the things we try to do. And Okay, they're cool. They're big. They got lights. Some of them look 30 years old. Some of them are brand new. Worthless if they're unplugged. But, but God... You're know, given into God's hands, plugged into his power through his spirit. It's very valuable. Even the simplest of efforts is very, very valuable in God's hand. And so our church's power is through prayer, relying on God's Holy Spirit. And so we need to repent of self-work, repent of reliance on self, and rely upon God himself. Or he will come and remove our candlestick. A church is worthless without God working through it. You can have that organizational structure that makes NASA blush, and it's worthless if God is not working through it. And so I do pray for our church, and I just encourage you to be a part of that. God works in cities as he uses local churches to build his kingdom, but he only does it as we pray. And his power is evident. I want it to be evident that... right. It's not a personality of the speaker at grace. That is for sure. God's spirit is doing something there. As people are born again, it's just we can't explain it by any human means. Yeah. But if you do know the people who are praying, you recognize, yeah, God's answering their prayers. God's at work there. He does use a certain means. There's a certain approved means, right? There is a a microwave that God says, this is the way I want your microwave to look. As the church goes forward in the city. And we find that in the second point. The spread of God's work in the city. And I would just say this is true individually as well. Um, God wants to use you. And this is how he spreads his work through you. We find here the first three months. He's preaching in a synagogue. We look at the efforts and the results. And then we see the next two years. Preaching in the public hall. And the efforts and the results. And they they are very similar. And it just helps us, gives us a paradigm for our efforts and our, by God's grace, and for his glory, the results. Uh, Look at the efforts, first of all, in synagogue. And he entered into the synagogue. You follow Paul's pattern. He always did this. He's Jewish. He's a rabbi. He has those credentials. And I think we take from that, who are you? What are your credentials? You have a family, you have a certain setting, you have a workplace, you have a sphere of influence. 
That may be through social media. That may be through, you're totally unplugged with that. But you have this group that you meet with to bowl. Or, right, this is what Paul did. He used the little bit of influence he had there already. He knew no one. He comes into there and he starts preaching the gospel. He didn't wait seven years to finally meet seven people. He, 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 he immediately used the influence he had. And what does he do? He entered the synagogue. For three months, he speaks boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. All right, we could take two hours of that. And I know we, I could, but you all would all be leaving and I would just continue to speak here. So I'm not going to do that. But just, just give a survey. He's speaking boldly. Uh, it's acting with an attitude of openness that comes from freedom and lack of fear. Very boldly. Why? Because he's commissioned by God. It's not his message. He's just a, a herald. It's a herald, and this is what you are. You're a herald given this message. And honestly, like, I mean, we want to be careful not to offend someone in how we say it, but we just leave the message there. We can't tamper with it. The authority is not with you. The authority is in the power of God through that message, the gospel. And we're going to find that in Romans 1.16. All this is related to Romans. Right? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's not fearful of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Right? So he goes in here, and he's going to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's going to unashamedly preach the gospel. He's speaking boldly, sharing the gospel. He's reasoning, though. After he presents it, as a herald, he preaches it for three months boldly. But he doesn't stop there. There's going to be some questions back and forth. And so he starts teaching them, reasoning with them. Uh, a reason is a discussion, a discourse, trying to answer the questions that they may have about that issue. And each city has this. We saw him do this in Athens. This is what God calls us to. As a, a city brings up issues, we talk about that with them. As your co-workers bring up issues, you talk about that with them. That was a very interesting point. Let's, uh, let's think about that. If you don't know the answer, that's okay. You say, well, we'll talk about that next time. After I think about it for a while. And so Paul did that. He, he, he helped reason with them. But there's this third point that the Holy Spirit uses. And sometimes we're ashamed to do this or afraid to do this. But we shouldn't be. We are exhorting with, with passion to persuade. God uses human means. And so he's, he's still contemptible in his speech, but he's using the tiny little pencil that he has to draw the best picture he can. He's doing what he can to persuade them. You've got to believe in Jesus. Let me just say this. If you have a relationship with someone for seven years and you've never told them that they have to believe in Jesus, you're not getting anywhere. Eventually, you have to share it, right? It's not just enough to have that potted plant. The seed has to go in the soil for there ever to be fruit. Right? It seems simple, but I think a lot of Christians in relationship evangelism do not move to that point. You have to share it, right? And so you're praying for the right timing. It's all by the Holy Spirit. I recognize that. And, and you just leave it with the Lord. Say, Lord, give me the open door. And so Paul would tell them to pray this. Pray that I would have an open door for utterance of the gospel. And I might speak boldly as I ought to. And so he's trying to urge them to believe. Unapologetic pronouncement of God's demands. Now what is the content here? The content is what? Verse 8. 
What is he trying to persuade them about? You guys following me there, verse 8? Somebody be brave. Kingdom of God. Good, good. The content of his message is the kingdom of God. Um, it's this, this interesting gospel with reference to the kingdom. Right? So, so in a kingdom, you, you usually have a person who's king. You have a realm over which they are king and demands in that realm. And so what he is saying is God has sent his son. He is Jesus and he is king. And you have to bow your knee to Jesus as your king. You have to believe in this message that this king has brought and, and transfer your allegiance to his kingdom instead of Rome. Transfer your allegiance to him instead of whatever your background is. And so it's really giving us a good picture of the gospel of the kingdom. Following Jesus' message as king. Christ has claims on our life as our king. Now he's a benevolent dictator that we love to serve because he died for us. He died to forgive us of our sins, but he still has a realm. The realm is all over the world as people bow the knee to him. And it's in Iran. It's, it's, I think it's moving further, faster in the Middle East than the U.S. Because we're so, uh, we're not relying on the message. And there they're taking everything out but the message. Uh, it's nothing about health and wealth when you know if you, if you got to get to Jesus, you got to probably give up your life. So those who are coming to Jesus are bowing to him as king. It's happening all over China. The gospel is spreading all over these cities. And so the results were opposition when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief. So some received, but some were, were saying, I am not going to believe. I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the, the king of my life. And so... They're speaking evil of the way. This is the wrong way. Don't go Paul's way. Keep going the broad way. Let's all go to the broad way. Don't go the narrow way. And so we see the broad way of the city is the way of destruction. And that's often the way the congregation wants to go. So the next two years, he kind of takes his efforts a different place, doesn't he? Um, moves, removes from the synagogue to the public hall. The school of Tyrannus. Um, he takes those who did believe, who did trust, um, and uh, he rents a school. He rents a place, and the place was very much uh, not Christian. Uh, and so sometimes Christians have to rent a place. Wherever the city finds you a place that they allow you to meet for a place of public gathering. And Forest Hills has so few of those. There's like five. Maybe two with parking. Right, so praise God we're able to meet here. I'm sorry it's at 1 p.m., but um, if you would just write out a check for $10 million, I'm sure we could find another spot. Okay? And you could meet. I would let you choose the time. We would. The church leadership would. I, okay? It's a deal. Um, and so probably, maybe Aquila and Priscilla are wealthy. Um, Paul probably is starting a side business. Um, but they probably foot the bill for this. Uh, the local community is doing this. Eventually they move to Corinth, but probably a team of them for this point. And so every day, 
for two years. They're meeting daily, and he's continuing to preach the gospel of the kingdom. It's not enough to just come in and say it. You've got to be consistently in the city daily sharing Jesus. It needed to be two and a half years there. Two and a half years. Uh, this is amazing. This is amazing. I don't want to set the bar this high, but the Holy Spirit does. And sometimes he attends his message this way to where we're embarrassed. And I pray that in our life we'll see it here in Queens. And please join me in praying that. I'm praying that everyone in Queens will be saved. Wouldn't that be awesome? He's done it before. I'll end that in just a minute with that one of those stories. But um, look at this. Everyone in Asia hears the word of the Lord. Everyone in the whole province hears the message of Jesus because they spend ministry in the city. They're ministering in the city and they reach the world. We could, we could spend a lot of time with that. I'm just going to just mention one, one um, uh, story about that. Uh, in that case... You, you, you know, Paul's spending that time there, and he reaches a guy named Epaphras. Uh, he reaches a guy named Philemon. Uh, you don't know who Epaphras is. You haven't named your son Epaphras. Some of you have named your son Paul. Epaphras was from Colossae. He would continually come to Ephesus on business. Here's the preaching of this rabbi daily. Believes in Jesus. Colossae was a city in decline in Paul's day. The major trade route that went, started at Ephesus had been redirected 30 years before it to no longer go through Colossae and it went through Hierapolis and Laodicea, the other two cities of the Tri-City region. So like it's, De no offense, Detroit, like five years ago. Everything's empty, right? The, the, the auto industry has left. Detroit's coming back. Um, but anyway, it's, it's just filled with vacant buildings. God loves the city. God loves Colossae too, but Paul doesn't go to Colossae. He preaches the gospel in the city of Ephesus, and Epaphras and Philemon get saved. And you read the letter of the Colossians. Paul had never been there, but Epaphras started a church there. Philemon started a church there. And so you look at Asia. In fact, you read Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and you read the seven churches of Asia. Where did they come from? They came from the preaching of the gospel in the city of Ephesus. Isn't that awesome? You preach the gospel in the city, and you have people that, that hear it here and they move to Zambia. They hear it here and they move to China. And so, like, it's really cool that we see our church filled with people from all over the world. And it, it comes a little disheartening when, especially when they move to Florida. But, but when they move to other places of the world, it's part of God's plan. It's okay. Because God wants his, his gospel to go to places where I can't go. But he wants us to preach the gospel in the city, to be on mission in Ephesus, so that we can reach the Colossian area. If you're planning to move to Florida, please don't be offended. Uh, they need the gospel too. All right. So life lesson, God builds his church through faithful proclamation of his truth. And so by God's grace, get, ask the Lord for strength to boldly proclaim his truth. He say, I can't do it. Good, that's step one. You can't do it. Now ask God to work through you to befriend someone, 
to lovingly reach an Epaphras. And it's amazing the stories, even here, there are places, there are regions that you cannot go, but those folks have come here to Queens. You can't get there. It's amazing. Because of persecution, um, again, I just, I'm not going to take time for the stories. Uh, it's just fascinating what God's doing here in Queens. It was what a privilege. Okay, and then there's opposition that comes up, and I'm just going to read it. Okay, I'm just going to read it for the sake of time, and we'll close here. But, uh, but look at this. Uh, opposition uh, to the church in the city. Opposition through the religious element, verses 11 to 20. And you see these people trying to cast out demons and, and in the name of the person who Paul preaches. Uh, that's the wrong way to do it. And they are uh, upended. And then, of course, God casts out the demons. They show, show strength. Uh, so growth through opposition of imitation. And then opposition from the idolatrous, verses 21 to 41. What a scene. Well, I would encourage you to, to, to dip into that today. It will be encouraging to you. Um, uh, let me just... I think I have time to read it. Uh, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Even handkerchiefs, aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. Their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. And so Jewish exorcists tried to, we're going to do this too. This is pretty lucrative. Uh, this happens today. People see God's work and they mirror it and they say, Oh, send me a thousand bucks. I'll give you my handkerchief too. That's probably worthless even as a handkerchief. Um, and so look at what happens. Evil spirits said, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, verse 15 of chapter 19, but who are you? And they overpowered them and they fled the house naked and wounded. And, and so people are realizing what Paul is preaching is real. They're amazed at the preaching of the gospel. Fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was exalted. And so many of those who were believers came confessing their practices. The city starts changing. They're leaving their magic. This would be uh, similar to like the occult. They're leaving their occult books. They're burning them. Millions of dollars are, are just burnt in the public square. And people are leaving idolatry. And this is overthrowing the whole city's business practices that have to do with idolatry. And so there comes this opposition from the idolatrous, verses 21 and following. The kingdom of hell opposes the kingdom of heaven. After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to head on out because he says, look at verse 21, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. I got to get to Rome. I got to get to Rome. And we're going to see that all through Romans. He's like, I want to get to you. I want to get to you. I'm, you know, God's not letting me, so I'm going to write you a letter, but I want to get to you. Having sent to Macedonia two of his helpers, he remains there. And then there's this disturbance. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver idols to Artemis, is seeing a lack in his prophets. So i got to overthrow this. And he gathers all the city into Ephesus. And, and so they gather into that uh, large arena and they start screaming out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. What does Paul say when he hears this angry mob of 20,000 people angry at the preaching of Jesus? Okay, slip me out. I got to get out of the city. No, he says, let me into that place. That place where they kill Christians with lions, spill their blood. 
There's something in him that loves the proclamation of the gospel. He doesn't care if he dies. He's going to tell them about Jesus. And, and as they are dragging people to harm them in that place, Paul's disciples are dragging him away. Paul, you can't do that. We can't let you die right now. I love the spirit. I love the spirit of that love for the gospel. And then they dismiss the church. They dismiss verse 41. Um, after they talk, they say, you know what? This is, this is unlawful. Why are we doing this? This is a mob. This, we can't do this in Rome. Uh, so there, like, there's been no organ, organizational process. You guys know that people are still going to worship idolatry. And that's how it ends. You know, you'd think if you were making this up, you would have ended with more of a, well, a lot of people get saved or, or something there. Uh, but that's how Luke ends it, because that's where it ends. And uh, verse 41 is one of the first, the only times you see the word church not used as the word church. It's an assembly. Uh, it's the ecclesia, this called out place where they were coming. Uh, and this is what we do. We call out, we send an email, we all come and we worship the Lord. They had all gathered at that place and they were worshiping Diana. Um, false worship. And so we find uh, there is opposition. Okay, so as you do this, as you step out by faith, you will face opposition. But this is how God builds his church. He builds his church through faithful proclamation in the cities. God builds his church through faithful proclamation of his truth in the cities. And as opposition comes, we rely on our, the Lord to take care of that. And so, three points, and we'll be done. it will be done with the Holy Spirit's power. So let's pray. It will be done with faithful proclamation of God's word. So let's preach. And will not be done without resistance by the kingdom of this world. So let's persevere. One of the more modern times where this happened would, would have been uh, the Great Awakening. And they saw cities change, like Philadelphia. George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, they preached to all of New England. George Whitfield's 25 and he's preaching in the cities and 20,000 people show up. More people than live in the city. Tens of thousands of people became born again. Um, and the Lord changed in the 1730s to the 1750s. The Lord changed America, the colonies. And then what's interesting, because of that, you have this 1776 thing going on and the, the republic that's based on some sense of morality. But even they said, if you don't have a moral public, this isn't going to work. Because you're not going to be able to make laws enough to control people's behavior. You're going to have Ephesus. Right? And, and so, um, but, but what, what started that was the preaching of the gospel. Um, and so we pray that by God's grace, we'll see that happen again here. And, and it's different. You know, there are different times, right? I'm not saying that you should, you should go to Times Square and start preaching as loud as you can every day. I mean, you could do that if that's your thing. Um, but you can preach in many different ways. You can share what was the normal way that they got messages across. It was through those public announcements. So think about how, you, how to use your social media. That's how messages are accomplished. 
right? We, we want to help you with that. If you'd like to share your testimony on video, uh, Dino is, is ready every week to record that, and you can share that. Um, but I think it, 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 be, it spreads best as a friend loves a friend, and you're going to be their friend whether they receive the message or not. But you also love them so much, and you love Jesus so much that you're going you're to say, hey, you know what, I want to... The Lord's going to bring it about, but you're going you're to share the seed, share the word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would use each of us and, uh, to share the message, that the message preached would be um, moved through your spirit, empowered. Empower your word, Lord, in our community, that we may see things like you did in Ephesus and Philadelphia and Boston and New York here just a hundred years ago, Lord, you, you had this whole city on their knees, praying every day. And, and we ask that you would do it again. We, we would love that it would not be because of a financial catastrophe or something like that. Uh, we would love it be a work in your spirit that um, moves in such a way that not just showers, but floods of people. Um, not just raindrops, but floods of people come to believe in you and uh, bow to you as king. Let me just encourage anybody here in this closing time before we uh, close with a song, if you would like to receive Jesus as king, and uh, just do that now.